Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another video and podcast from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and today I am joined by very esteemed company. It is former FPL winner Simon March. Uh, we're going to be having a look at his team. Uh, famously won FPL in 2014-15 campaign uh, and has, has stuck around uh, in, in a great way. Uh, done very, very well since then. Been an active part of a lot of Fantasy Football Scout coverage down through the years. Very, very happy to have you here, Simon. How are you doing at the start of the 23-24 campaign i'm good thanks david uh yeah uh thank you for having me on uh good to good to have fpl almost back um it's just saying before it snuck up on me a, a little bit i i did what i think most people did which was you know go on auto pick your team um and then just switch it off and forgot about it for a month um and now you know there's i think eight or nine days away from the uh the season starting it feels uh suddenly feels very real <laughs> Yeah, it always, it always creeps up. I don't know why. It's a bit like Christmas or the changing of the clocks. You sort of think, ah, you don't have to worry about that for a while. Then all of a sudden it's, you know, Christmas Eve and you haven't done your shopping yet. Uh, or, you know, maybe you haven't changed your clock and you lose the hour's sleep or whatever. It, it always gets us. I, I, I never quite understand why. <laughs> Every Christmas though, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, and, and the other thing, of course, we've been doing it for so long, and and, and you're one of the, uh, the the people that's been around uh, since the very beginning, really, with a lot of the coverage that Fantasy Football Scout has done. I mentioned there you won the the whole thing in fourteen fifteen. This is now, I think, your eighth season as as a former winner. You know, nobody can take that away from you, uh, for better or for worse, I suppose. <laughs> um, you know, because we do always talk about it whenever you're around. Uh, what's that like? I mean, you know, just in daily life, you you've been dealing with it for longer than than many of the other winners of course because it was a little while ago but you know still here still relevant still doing well but what's it been like dealing with that for for nearly a decade um i don't know it's it's becoming so long ago that it's almost embarrassing to mention it <laughs> <laughs> so, uh yeah it's, it's it's you know it's quite a nice uh, a nice thing to to have and to you know think about occasionally i have to remind myself that that it happens uh every now and again they go oh, yeah that that you know that actually happened didn't it um but yeah it's a, it's, it's you know it's a nice thing it's a nice thing to have on your on your cv it's not it's not literally on my cv um, oh what a nice. missed opportunity i'm self-employed now so you know oh, there we are. <laughs> my, my my wondering is you probably don't bring it up at parties but you know do your friends and family ever introduce you to people as this is uh this is simon he, he wants one fbl you ever have to deal with any of that or is it sort of slipped into sort of 
your your secret you know people like to just let you keep that to yourself rather than you have to deal with the the fanfare every time you meet strangers no so it's 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 100 mentioned all right <laughs> sometimes sometimes it's in it's the, the fact that i've won fpl is is mentioned before my name is mentioned so when i get introduced <laughs> this guy won fpl oh and his name's simon by the way <laughs> so, uh yeah um yeah people uh you know still still get quite uh excited about it but um yeah, I, I, I try not to mention <laughs> it too much. Um, but, well, I have uh, to say that's that's a, that's a very admirable level of, of uh, humility. I, I don't know if I'd be able to have the same level of uh, humility if, if, if I won. So fair play. I'll tell you what's difficult. The only time it's difficult is when I'm, I'm sitting on the train or something and there's two people, you know, two two lads talking about their FPL team. And you just, you just sort of go to them, hey, what, what's, your, what's your best rank? Hey, yeah, uh, it's not bad. Uh, yeah, do you want to know mine? Um, but, yeah, I've yet to actually do that. Oh, I, I really want to see that now—a situation where they're sort of talking about putting someone terrible in. It's like, well, I don't know if you should do that, mate. Or oh, what do you know? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we want to see. Um, but of course, I mentioned as well, obviously, that you, you know you have done very well outside of that. You know, there's absolutely no suggestion at all that you're any, that you're any kind of one-hit wonder or anything like that, because your your rank history outside of winning it is still, you know, most people would would do a lot of things to try and get rank history as good as this. So four times in the top uh, 10k, nine times in the top 50k. I mean, it must feel quite. Um, quite cool to, to have that as well because you know we've had we've seen some winners in the past you know do very well in one season because in theory you kind of have to make the wrong in inverted commas decision 38 times in a row and it come off because you've got to beat everybody else um, and so for you to have been able to to do that in one season but still have the skill and I'm going to call it skill because there is skill to having consistency over this long period um, it must be it must feel quite cool to have been able to, to balance that I wonder if you had any insight of did you have different approaches for your seasons where you maybe finished sort of 30k, 20k, you know, admirable finishes? You know, that was different to the season that you you won, uh, you know, the whole thing. Was there differences between those campaigns and how you approach things? Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think something, two things kind of happen that once you won it, it is that everything after that feels like an anticlimax. Um, so I, I think I, I came something like 20k the season afterwards, and and it felt. Yeah, it felt so embarrassing to, to mention. Um, whereas, obviously, twenty k, I'd be very happy with twenty k rank uh, this season. Um, and uh, but the, the other thing that happens is is that you, you start feeling like you can become very experimental, and sometimes that that pays off, and sometimes it, it doesn't. Um, and uh, so, on, on some level, the, the way that I've played has has changed because you know I take probably a few more risks than I used to, and maybe a little bit less data led and a bit more sort of um i think experimentally focused i I, yeah i like to try and find new ways of playing the game if if i can uncover some and uh yeah some some i've incorporated into my into my overall strategy and some i've I've just discarded um and uh yeah but i I suppose yeah that's something that you 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 know if that you have a, a unique benefit of that you know you can't get any higher than uh then then your best finish so you you might as well have some fun with it i mean that's that's a great point because you know if anyone ever turns around and goes oh i don't know about that maybe you don't know what you're talking about you can be like 
Yes, I do. You know, it's, it comes back to that whole, like, you just have carte blanche to just basically do what you want, which is it must be quite freeing. And I suppose the one thing that actually stands out from what you've said there, really, it kind of sounds like you've been adaptable because the game has changed a lot in the time that we've been playing it. Um, you know, some of the changes are obvious, some of them not so much. You know, sometimes you get a campaign where lots of hits are going to pay off. Sometimes you get a campaign where lots of hits aren't going to pay off. Sometimes you've got 343 three is the way to go, 352, big at the back. You must have seen a lot of things come and go. And it, it sounds like you've very much rolled with the punches and, and evolved as the game's changed as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that there are there are the changes in the game. Um, you know, things have happened. I, I think when I, uh, around the time that I won, it tended to be number 10s were the, the, the main focus. Um, and number 10s in the way that they existed then that don't really exist now. Uh, you, you don't often have that player, you know, playing directly behind the striker. Um, and uh, it, it all became about attacking fullbacks for for a while, and now it sort of seems to be adapting a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit onto you know maybe something else, maybe more of a focus on on midfield and inverted wingers and um, uh, inverted fullbacks as well. And uh, so you you have the the way that the the game of football changes, but then you also have the way that FPL has changed and um, the the season after uh, that was when the chips were introduced and. I mean, one one observation is that there's a lot more. There are a lot more points um, in the game, sloshing around these days. Part of that has been driven by players like Salah, um, you know, scoring 200 plus points a season, and Haaland, obviously last season. Um, but some of it has been driven by uh, you know, triple captainships and, and things like uh, like that. And I think what it what it illustrates is. One, the importance of doing well with your, your chips, but also that there's a, a benefit to perhaps playing a bit more aggressively uh, these days because the the opportunity um, to score big is, is is much greater than perhaps it used to be, um, and you know maybe that justifies the uh, the risk um, of taking. I, th- I think it certainly justifies perhaps taking more hits. Um, so people who are good at, at taking hits, I, I think, probably do quite well in the, the modern iteration of uh, FPL. Well, see, I remember a time when taking hits was seen as this reckless thing that, you know, no sensible FBR manager would ever uh, attempt. And, and as you say, uh, you know, it has made a big difference in some cases if you can get them right. And even just from my own personal experience, I, it's only really the last season that we've just had where I started to take more hits. And uh, I managed to go from like 800k at the start of the World Cup to 179 places outside of the top 10k, which is annoying mouthful, but a technicality I have to acknowledge. Uh, but that that jump from there to there was was taken by being aggressive. So I I have to say, even in my own personal experience, I've seen the benefit of of moving in that um, direction. Uh, before we come to your team, I'm just going to talk about some of the stuff that you've done for Fantasy Football Scout uh, down through the years and still continue to do on a regular basis with your articles because uh, I personally have always in- enjoyed them. I-, I used to edit them as well, so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun editing those articles. I didn't have to change very much, so thank you for that. Uh, but they're always really insightful as well because it's not just about who's the right player to sign this week, you know, because we have a lot of content like that and that's all very useful. But uh, having um, a lot of sort of psychological input on, on how to play this game in a broader sense that I've always found really interesting can think of a few uh, subjects things like recency bias or the sunk cost fallacy um, a lot of these ideas that you can maybe spot in other walks of life how you apply them to FPL I've always found really interesting I wonder if you could perhaps talk us through where you get a lot of that from um, from perhaps from your own personal experience or professional experience um, and uh, yeah what, what it's been like being able to sort of carry on discussing that um, over the last few years with Scout. Yeah, so my my um, my background is in uh, behavioural science and economics. Um, so I've I've sort of 
a lot of how I play the game myself is uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of focus on statistics um, and those have become much more easy to use uh, because of sites like Fancy Football Scout and the members area and, uh, and things where you're finding stats that you know, used to be very complex. People you know, used to have to sort of do their own regression analysis if they really wanted to get under the hood of uh, FPL. And, and now it, it's, it's kind of calculated for you in a, a nice, easy to read sort of way. Um, and so using statistics is still really useful, but I've, I've started to feel that the extra advantage that perhaps you get is um, is by managing your your personal biases. And, and that's something that I've focused on a lot in terms of my game, uh, questioning the decisions that I'm making, why I'm making these decisions. Are, are they based in uh, a, a rational um, calculation or, you know, is it something that, um, you know, that I want or something that, that I feel that I need to do um, because, you know, I invested three game weeks ago and I feel like I need a payoff uh, for it now. Um, and uh, and that's something that, that I like to uh, write about as well in, in the articles. Um, and uh, yeah, so the articles that I write for, for Scout uh, tend to be focused on psychology or economics, uh, sometimes statistics, sometimes really random things like uh, the 2008 housing crisis and what we can, <laughs> what it can teach us about FPL, uh, th- things like that. So I, I, I try and take a, a a different view of it, and um, you know, hopefully, people find them interesting. Yeah, certainly, uh, it's, it's taught me a lot down through the years as well. I mean, I think my favorite uh, thing that I, I learned from you, without wanting to sound too much like a fanboy, is uh, let co- let consistency be your differential. When everybody else around you is looking for some different route to go and, and is not necessarily always able to pin down exactly who that's going to be, and you see a lot of chaos, um, a lot of entropy perhaps, with just so many different variables. If you're um, sort of being very focused internally on just going with something rational and then you maintain a consistency in terms of um, always going for the same type of safe picks. That in and of itself becomes a differential in the maelstrom of everybody just kind of looking at the next sparkly, shiny thing. And that sort of transformed the way I played FPL for a number of years. Um, is, is that something you still um, try to, to stick to now? Is that advice you would still give? Or is that something you might want to tweak as the game continues to evolve? Um, I think it's become... It's definitely something that I still believe in. Um, and I think that, you know, there's so much focus on differentials and explosiveness around uh, players that... Um, and you know, getting a, a triple figure game week score and uh, and, and things that it, it sort of gets overlooked that if you score sixty five points every game week on average, then you, you've got a very good chance of um, you know winning FPL uh, sixty five to seventy points. Um, and I try and sort of maintain that focus myself, and, and it informs the way that I build my my teams. And, and maybe we'll see that a, a little bit in, in my current draft. Uh, I think it's become much more difficult to do these last past few seasons. And I think that actually sticking too rigidly to to that approach uh, probably was detrimental. Maybe not last season, maybe the COVID season, where I, I think there's actually a real benefit to, to sort of leaning into the chaos and uh, and you know, letting it be uh, be an opportunity. Um, as, uh, as Lord Baelish in uh, <laughs> said, uh, chaos is the ladder. And I, I think that that was definitely the case um you know the last few seasons if uh you know if you could lean into it and, and you could make it work for you then uh then it was a, a real advantage but hopefully we're heading for a a normal a normal season finally 
Yeah, try not to tempt fate there. Um, <laughs> don't 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 manifest more chaos. We, we, you know, ladders are great, but you know, no. I mean, uh, I mean, also Game of Thrones references, of course. If we can have some Game of Thrones style uh, comparisons and articles this season, I think people will be will be very happy. So yeah, um, do keep an eye out for Simon's content on the site as well. It's uh, it's very very useful, very insightful. Now, before we continue and have a look at Simon's uh, team in its current form, uh, just a quick reminder to people that it's uh, now is the best time, of course, to sign up to Fantasy Football Scout uh, membership. Simon's obviously obviously mentioned some of the benefits you get from that uh, and right now you can save up to 30% on those pre-season prices you'll get access to the world leading pre-season guide for all the FPL teams which is starting to populate very nicely now we've had lots of FPL pre-season games also includes the pre-season minutes tracker as well which is looking very hefty as well we're starting to get a good idea of who's playing what minutes and who's the favoured players in a lot of positions you get season points projections team transfer planners and drafts from the best fantasy managers including some former winners of course we have one of those in the virtual studio uh, today and so without further ado let's stick that team on the screen uh simon has clarified that this is in no way a final team this is a team that's very much in draft form lots of changes could come i'm just going to read it off for the benefit of the podcast listeners and we're going to jump into some of the dilemmas that he is facing at the start of the season so we've got onana and Ariola as the goalkeeper pairing we've got chilwell gabriel stones as the starting defenders with colwell and uh, bell on the bench we've got Mbermo, saka rashford and fernandez as a midfield four with mr anderson on the bench and then gabriel jesus and kunku and harland up front with harland uh, captained and so the first thing i guess that leaps out to me here is it's a 3-4-3 formation which wasn't all that favorable a formation to be in when the game launched but it's slowly emerging as a as a, a real uh, authoritative school of thought going into the last sort of 10 to, to 13 days of preparation so what's what's that been like for you did you start in 3-5-2 switch to 3-4-3 or were you in 3-4-3 from the outset um, I've, I've been through a few uh, different iterations. I definitely had 3-5-2 at one point. Um, I had a 4-4-2 uh, right up until very recently. Um, it's, it's been the, the emergence of, um, uh, I, th- I think that third, third striker spot, we're starting to see a few options emerge um, at the moment. So when I say third striker spot, the, the, the players that I've had from the beginning have been in Kanku and uh, Haaland and I can I can come in and yeah, explain why in a in a sec, I suppose. But um uh I think Darwin um at Liverpool uh, has maybe scored four goals uh, already in the preseason. Um I think you've got Watkins at Aston Villa. Obviously I've gone for uh, Gabriel Jesus uh you know to begin the season. Um, so I, I think there there are so many options now emerging around about that. I think you can you can go down a few a couple of million in, in price or um, 0.5 and look at Nicholas Jackson at, at Chelsea uh, as well. Um, and uh, I think with midfield, I mean there there are loads and loads of uh, of options, but it's it's very tricky because the best options sort of seem to be either 6.5 or around kind of 8.5 million. And uh, it's um, and, and not a lot around that unless you go super premium and start looking at, at people like uh, like Salah again. And uh, so, in a way, I, I feel like maybe there's there's more value in in maximizing your striker spots uh, at the moment and um, and just focusing on the best eight point five and six point five mids. Um, yeah, as you see it. Mm, yeah, I mean, I'm sort of slowly coming around to that thinking as, as well, having been in three five two before because. 
Yeah, there's just so many in the striker department that are doing well. And um, what well, we have to talk about Chelsea, I think, because Chelsea are contributing to that because Jackson's doing well in preseason. You had Nkunku from the start. You've got Chilwell in there and Colwell. So, I mean, I'm sort of now broadly asking you about Chelsea kind of as a whole, really uh, obviously using the fact that you you know the Blues very well, uh, being a fan, and uh, you see watch them a fair amount as well is my, is my, is my guess. Um, so, you know, you, you've got a, a decent understanding of what this team is is looking like at the start of the season. And what intrigued me the most about what, how you described your forwards is that when I first got my team, I was like, Haaland and Jesus, they're my two. So when you said third striker, I assumed you meant on top of Haaland and Jesus. But no, no, no. You already had Nkunku and Jesus was your third striker, which in many ways is sort of reversed from what a lot of people have been thinking. So, in effect, you're thinking on Nkunku has been positive since the beginning. And you've now got Colwell and Chilwell as well. So, yeah, I'll sort of like hand the microphone to, back to you to just Chelsea at the start of the season. A triple up is what you've got right now. Is it going to stay that way? Do you think? Are, are you hopeful about the start of the season? Do you think you're getting in there early versus that game week three fixture swing? So over to you to talk Chelsea for as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, Nkunku has, has been in my team since day one um, and has never has never left. Uh, I mean, looking at it, so you know, when I talk about personal biases, this is perhaps an example of it being you know, manifested right now. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, I wouldn't always be this confident in a new player uh, to the to the league. Uh, what I like about Nkunku is that he's almost a throwback to to what I was talking about earlier on, to that that sort of traditional uh, or, or that old school number ten. You know, the, the sort of Rooney, Van Persie kind of forward, to somebody who would assist as much as they would score. Um, he's uh, probably on penalties uh, for Chelsea. Uh, he's got quite good uh, direct free kick on him as well. Um, but what, what I really like about him is that uh, he's listed as a forward. Um, honestly, in my opinion, he should have been listed as a, as a midfielder. Um, but, you know, this this is what, what we have. Uh, he could play up front. Uh, I think he will get some minutes. Uh, up front um, but I think that there's also a position for him in, in that number 10 spot there might also be a position for him on the, on the left wing and the fact that he covers you know three or four different positions means that his minutes should be really really strong um, and you know I know that it doesn't always translate uh, you know Bundesliga into Premier League but um, I mean yeah he, he was so sort of superlative last season uh, in, in terms of his, you know, his goal scoring and his, uh, you know, his creative work as well, um, that I feel that seven point five could be a steal. So, um, yeah, he, he's somebody that I'm willing to take a risk on. I don't think it's a massive risk personally. I, th- I think that you know his his involvement levels, how he's looked in preseason, he scored a few goals already, and uh, the fact that Chelsea's fixtures after game week one are reasonably good, um, it's, it's not too big a risk. Mm. But the price is really helpful, actually, because I'm um, just thinking back to perhaps like uh, Werner when he came in. I think he might have been nine million. So it's I think in many ways that the pricing structure is sort of acknowledged the Bundesliga tax now, which I don't like saying because I don't think I'm not one of these people that comments in all the videos being like, oh, Bundesliga tax. You know, you get these people that just sort of go, oh, it's not as good a league. But clearly there has been a slight issue of transition between players from that league to this one. Um, and so therefore we're a little bit more inclined to take a risk on whether or not that might be an issue if the price is the way that it is. And I, like you, was very disappointed when he came in as a forward because I'd done a scout report on him earlier in the season, in the preseason. I thought, oh, this guy looks looks spicy. I, I hope he's going to be a midfielder because that's probably where he's going to play. 
ended up being a forward. It's probably helped us because if he was a midfielder, he would be competing with the likes of Saka, Rashford and Fernandes and, and, and a lot of those Arsenal midfielders who we, we also feel like we should have. Whereas the competition for places in the forwards is... Argu- there's arguably less competition there. Um, but, but but then, you know, it just gives you that opportunity to perhaps leverage another price point that other people might not be interested in. So it makes them a bit of a differential. So maybe the forward classification might be a blessing in disguise, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the the cynic in me would say that, that FPL put him as a forward to, to give us something to think about uh, up front because there aren't that many... Um, uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there are options, but probably not an absolute sort of plethora of, of, uh, of options. I don't know if I'm contradicting what I said earlier uh, now, but I, I think maybe if he took Nkunku out, then maybe the forward options would look a little bit uh, spare, especially since we're all having Haaland. So, yeah, I think having him there has given us something extra to, to think about. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, personally, I, I, I don't see him... I'm not saying they're the same type of player, but I, I don't see him as any more of a forward than perhaps Rashford would be or Havertz would be. So yeah, it is a bit disappointing that he's been uh, he's been listed as one. But I still think that he'll um, you know he'll do enough to uh, to justify um, and, and yeah, seven point five is, is not a bad price uh, either. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the one additional question here on this part of the Chelsea attack is you have mentioned Nicholas Jackson doing quite well in the preseason. He would save you another 0.5. Um, can you see yourself switching to him before uh, you know the start of game week one? You know, what have you is what, what you've seen in preseason enough to make you think you might make that switch, or do you still need to see a little bit more information on 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 him versus Nkunku? You know, is that a fifty-fifty in your head at the moment? Um, I think arguably he's been Chelsea's best player in pre-season. And, and I think if you'd asked me maybe a week ago, uh, I would have been very tempted uh, to go with him um, instead. I, I think the concern now is that Chelsea are talking, uh, you know, there's a possibility that Vlahovic um, is, uh, he's being linked with uh, Chelsea. Um, just the fact that, that they're looking at another striker option. Um, if that wasn't a factor, then I, I think that, that Jackson has, has pretty much got a free run at it. And he looked really, really good. He looks good in terms of goal scoring. He looks good in terms of link-up play as well. Um, so I think somewhere in the season, he, he might be a, a, a real option. But um, to begin with, I, th- I think it's always important to, you know, to know that the player that you're backing in your game week one team is, is going to start regularly um, for the foreseeable. And at the moment, I see Nkunku as a bit more reliable than, uh, than Jackson. Mm, that, that makes a lot of sense and I suppose is a useful little segue to, to the rest of your Chelsea contingent if we're talking about uh, how likely players are to start because I think people will obviously notice you've got Colwell uh, on your bench and uh, it does appear in the last few days that he very much has um, ascended to a level of this guy's probably going to start quite a lot of games for Chelsea this season would you concur with that with your with your Chelsea hat on as well as your FPL one? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a guarantee necessarily, but Cole is the only left-sided centre-back that, that Chelsea have fit at the moment. Um, Badia Shile is uh, still injured um, and, uh, you know, he hasn't played any minutes in pre-season. So at the moment, it's it's Cole's position to, to lose. Um, and uh, I think it's a funny one because looking at it, I wouldn't really want to triple up on Chelsea from the beginning. I do, I do think that they're an option. I think that they're a little bit like Arsenal of last season in that, yeah, there's a lot of players in there that might have been discounted based on how they performed or how Chelsea as a team performed the season before. Um, and if you believe that with a new manager and a whole new ethos uh, that 
Chelsea will will perform a lot better, then they could be significantly discounted. They could be really, really good value. Um, I think if you if you look at Colwell in isolation, sort of say, okay, you've got an almost guaranteed starter, at least for the first few game weeks, uh, for Chelsea in a 4.5. Chelsea's defence, even if nothing else was good last season, Chelsea's defence was was pretty good. Um, I, I would say that Colwell looks great value, probably the best value among the 4.5s. Um, uh, I don't know, you, you could argue maybe you know, Newcastle... Um, uh, have, yeah, have a, a an option there, but um, yeah, I, th- I think in in isolation he he looks he looks really good. I don't know if I want that triple up necessarily though. Um, but there's always the possibility that yeah, you know, are you investing too much in a single team? Um, would there be other options? You know, could Mudrick or somebody emerge uh, as a you know must have Chelsea player? Um, could could Sterling? You know, could uh, Reese James? You know, might the Chilwell James double up be you know be back on? Um, and uh, so, yes, Cole is, is one that I'm thinking about. But at the moment, I think, yeah, having that 4.5 defender for a team that I hope and anticipate will do quite well defensively um, as a first sub, I think is uh, is really, uh, you know, fairly strong. Mm. Uh, Lots of options, as you say, like with the midfielders as well, because like, I had Sterling in my first draft. So it's like, you know, could see that could could work out. Of course, we've got uh, Lauren's brother as well, as he's being known now, uh, who could <laughs> potentially come into your thinking as well. I suppose, actually, my question here, actually, about Colwell versus Chilwell, because it sounds like there could be a Colwell versus Chilwell or Lauren's brother uh, before game week one, because if you're worried about a triple up, if you had to choose between one of the 5.5 fullbacks or the 4.5 centre back, do you know necessarily where you would sit? Of course, right now you've got Chilwell starting, so my guess is maybe you've got a favour in that direction. But if you wanted to leave yourself open, which of those would have to go? Because my guess is Nkunku would stay if you were moving away from a triple-up to start with, so you could pivot at a later point. Yeah, I think I think of the three that I've got at the moment, Colwell is probably the one that I'd be most inclined to to you know move move on, um, despite the fact that I think that, yeah, for the reasons that I've given, but in isolation, I still think that he's a really good option. Um, I think that of the fullbacks, uh, Chilwell is the better option at the moment, just based on the way that the uh, the team have been playing in preseason. Um, Chilwell is often the the most far forward uh, player in attack. Um, James at, at the moment, the way Chelsea seems to be playing is that in in possession, James is is sort of dropping in and, and creating a back three, um, and that might change if, if Chelsea get. Uh, a number six like Caicedo, um, and maybe he'll he'll occupy that position. But at the moment, James isn't, uh, or, or the 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 right fullback rather, because you know, James has only played maybe uh, forty five minutes. I think um, hasn't been bombing on the way that perhaps we've seen in the past. But Chilwell has absolutely been bombing on, um, and he's been taking corners as well um, from the left and the right. Uh, so there's there's such a high ceiling at the moment with uh, with Chilwell. Um, and uh, yeah, as long as he can can stay fit, uh, I mean, we, we've seen you know what he can be like. He he loves making those inverted runs. Um, he's a goal threat, um, but you know he's also a creative threat as well. So yeah, he he's the one um, that I'm backing at the moment. I, I've got a bit of PTSD with James last season, where I, I somehow managed to hold on to him through I think two major injuries. Um, if, if ever you wanted a, a, a an example of uh, some cost fallacy. <laughs> <laughs> holding James for that long uh, last season but I, you know I, I don't 
necessarily hold that against him. I still think that he's actually a pretty decent option this season. But of the two, yeah, I prefer Chilwell. Yeah, I mean, they're in many ways very different types of fullbacks. I mean, a lot of people sort of just kind of lump them in the same category of like, oh, attacking fullbacks. But, you know, Rhys James is a little bit more, I mean, from when I've watched him visually, he almost has a uh, a demeanor a bit like Trent, where his best thing that he does is that thing where he's a little bit further back from the box and loops those balls in, uh, kind of like, sw- like out swinging at first and then in swinging again, almost like KDB. And is very much the creator, whereas Chilwell will go pretty much all the way to the dead ball line and have a shot at a really, really like obscene angle, and sometimes get it in the top left-hand corner. Um, they're very, very different types of fullbacks, and uh, as long as you can get Chilwell in a in a period where he's guaranteed to play, or at least more likely to, he's fit. For example, and involved in set pieces, I I, I do think I would probably go with Chilwell just because that that point ceiling is higher because just the goals are going to get you so many more points, right? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's a question mark of people are talking about Martin Cucurella is still there. Lewis Hall is, is there as well. Chelsea have got four options at, at, at left back or players that can play there. Um, but Chilwell does seem to be the standout. And, and Martin, when he's been playing, has actually been playing as a, as a forward. Um, and that might be a strategy. That might be something that allows Chilwell to, to go forward. But at the moment, he hasn't really been competing with Chilwell for, for that left-back spot. It's been mostly Cucurella. And between Cucurella and Chilwell at the moment, there's there's no comparison. Uh, you know, Chilwell is, is so far ahead. So, yeah, I, I hope that he's a he's a pretty reliable starter. He certainly seems that way based on preseason. Hmm. Fingers crossed. And, and also just from a personal perspective, like we've seen what he can do when he's fit and he's been very unfortunate with those injuries. So it would be nice, I think, even for just the neutrals to see him get a good uh, stab at the team. It could be good for England as well if he can uh, string some games together. Um, but we talked about Chelsea for probably, you know, too long for those of you who are maybe watching who are a Spurs fan. So we do apologise for that, but it's good to talk about it. I do want to have a have a quick chat about Salah now because he is, of course, the elephant in the room. He's not in your team. Um, and I, I am asking everybody this question, so it's nothing personal. But, um, you know, have you experimented with the Salah um, draft? Can you see yourself breaking this to get him uh, with that game week one uh, FOMO? I think we talked uh, before we came on, you're not going to be at Fest. You're going to be in Bulgaria on holiday, I think. So that might be good for missing some FOMO. But what's your thinking with Salah? Uh, have you ever had him at any point? Can you see yourself changing your mind? Yeah, yeah. I mean, first first draft, uh, Salah was you know, one of the first names uh, on it. Um, and I mean, I still think that he's a, he's a great option, but if if I had a, a real where I really fell down last season um, was was in captaincy it was was when I rotated away from Haaland and back the fixtures with with Salah um, and I would do that um, on occasions. Uh, I think one really memorable one was um, Salah was playing Brighton, Liverpool thrashed them, and uh, Salah maybe got an assist or, or something. Um, and the next day, Haaland, who seemed to have a much more difficult fixture against United, scored a hat trick. Um, and just that those occasions where I moved away from Haaland um, were, were so detrimental that this season I can't really see myself doing it uh, <laughs> at all. You, you know, he'd, he'd have to really drop off to, to convince me to, to captain anybody else. Uh, so with that in mind, Salah looks very expensive at, at 12 million, especially when you look at perhaps the emerging players, um, the likes of Saka, Rashford, you know, if, if, if Rashford continues his second half of the season form um, from last season, uh, yeah, he could he could perform Salah, you know, type numbers. So so could uh, Saka. Um, 
And so there, there are a few players that are not quite listed as uh, as premium, um, you know, a little bit under that, that, that could absolutely deliver um, at that level. And the fact that without going Salah less means that you can have maybe two or three of those players uh, in your in your squad feels like too good an opportunity. So it's not really a it's not really a comment on Salah himself. It, it's the fact that if you're not going to captain him, then you're it's a lot of money to invest in one player. Um, and there are so many other options with really good fixtures to begin with um, that, yeah, I'm, I'm leaning definitely towards, uh, you know, towards spreading the, the budget around. Mm. Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense. And I said that it seems to be what most people are thinking. Uh, you know, Salah's in about 25% of teams now, I think it is, which is, you know, unheard of low levels for him. I suppose my only final question on Salah before we then talk, we're going to talk about those other midfielders you mentioned there, um, is what you've seen of him in preseason. Has that made you additionally nervous? Because that, that, that is where we've seen that little shift. At the beginning, everyone was like, I'm not going to have Salah. And then as Liverpool have started to actually throw a lot of goals uh, at their opponents and Salah being heavily involved in them, that I think is what's triggered people going, hmm, what if? Um, and so if Salah continues his preseason form, does that change your thinking? Or do you think you would just sort of turn around and give me the same answer? <laughs> Yeah, I think when I look at, at preseason, I, I tend to only use it, you know, in, in a confirmation confirmation sort of way. Um, I, I, you know, players that you that have got no sort of real pedigree in in uh, in FPL um, can look really really good in preseason, and then you know, you, the the game actually starts, the Premier League actually starts, and and they look completely out of the depth. So. When a player like Salah is doing well in preseason, that that does make me sit up and take notice. But I think that you could also look at, at Darwin Nunes as well, and you know look at his form in in preseason and say, well, maybe Salah isn't the only option at, at Liverpool. Liverpool have, have got a few of these these sort of mid-priced assets, both in midfield and uh, and in the forward line as well, that that also look really really good. And I mean, there has to come a point where the pressure comes off Salah to to you know be everything for Liverpool going forward. Um, you know, Mane has obviously moved on, um, and they haven't really sort of found another outlet for for goal scoring. Um, at least last season, obviously um, uh, Jota did did really well the season before. But I but I wonder if actually you know there's another emerging option from from. Uh, within Liverpool themselves, you know, even if, if you're not looking outside of them. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I'm tempted to sort of wait and see. Uh, honestly, we spent a lot of last season um, where Salah wasn't even really in our thinking. Um, and, yeah, that was when he was ticking along quite quite nicely as well. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think you, you do have to sort of be a bit ruthless with your with your budget and your decisions and, can't necessarily, you know, live in fear of, of Salah exploding. Uh, the fact that he's in twenty five percent of teams, um, you know, makes you think. Well, actually, you know, if he does explode, is, is it, you know, is it that much of a, a detriment? You know, people aren't going to be captaining him. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going Salahless uh, for for now, and I'm not too concerned. I think the most likely scenario that Salah would come into my thinking is. Uh, um, is if I feel like I need a, a differential um, and he's got some really good fixtures. 
Yeah, that's true. And they do take a little while for them to be fixtures worth thinking about. I suppose uh, one actually, one slight question I'll have is, will you be back from Bulgaria in time to, to, to be at Chelsea versus Liverpool? And that could give you, you know, this, the opportunity to have that eye test. Because if he does well there as well, it might sting on two levels. <laughs> Hey, I, I, I won't, but as a, as, a, as a Chelsea fan, I don't know how I would feel about that anyway. So <laughs> just try and block it out. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. No, I won't be. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll see, see plenty of, uh, of Saka, uh, sorry, Salah on, uh, on TV. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have to see. It is a bit – I am a bit wary that he's got Bournemouth um, you know, in game week two. But I don't think that you can put too much focus on any single game week. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, if he becomes completely impossible to ignore, then I, I think that I've got some options that I can move around uh, to, to get him in. Um, but, you know, like I was saying, you, you know, I, I'd most likely go for him if I need a differential captain. Um, and that would take a lot after last season um, to... to move me away from Haaland anyway so uh. you've done a very good job by the way of, of resisting I've, I've thrown so many different permutations where you might end up with Salah and you're like nope nope every time I almost felt like I'm doing a Sunday morning politics show we're like surely minister you know you would consider this so no, you held the line so I'm I'm very impressed <laughs> and so let's talk about the, the the positive decisions you've made from the you know the concept of not having Salah Rashford and Bruno I like that it looks very is that a double down on United or is that more a case of a price point influence decision of like oh I can have two guys who are good in this price point what's you thinking there uh, it's a bit of both uh, I, I think Rashford's um is the one that I would have out of the two, although I do like the, the kind of role that uh, Fernando seems to be playing um, now, you know, behind the striker. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so, and, and obviously United have got really good fixtures as well um, to, to begin with. So maybe that justifies a double up. I'm, I'm not that keen on having that much budget um, from one... <sighs> from a single team or, or it's not so much the budget it, it, it's more you know having two major kind of midfielder assets that I don't know obviously they can combine for points but United are only going to score so many goals um, and so on, on some level you're, you're dividing that automatically um, rather than you know where you can what, what you really want I suppose in FPL is you, you want to find the player who's you know who's the, the real standout um, and and just back him and for me, that's Rashford at the moment. Um, even though he hasn't looked fantastic in preseason, um, Fernandez. I think if I had an extra 0.5, I'd, I'd be really tempted to go for Son instead. Um, partly to spread it around, but partly also because the question marks over Harry Kane. A lot of people are talking about Richarlison. Um, I think that there are a few options, possibly Madison as well within Spurs. But historically, when Kane has been out, it's been Son who's who's stepped up. Um, he's come down a lot in price. Uh, if he was nine million last season, he would have been quite good value. But we expect him to to really outperform that. So yeah, he's somebody that I'm looking at. Not not brilliant fixtures to begin with, um, but yeah, he's he's definitely on the watch list. Yeah, it's about game week three that Spurs sort of come into consideration, I think, for a lot of people. Because um, Brentford away, United at home the first two. Then, yeah, Bournemouth away, Burnley away, Sheffield United at home. Those three look 
really, really nice. That could even be around the time that Kane leaves. You know, Kane could be around for the first two, which is hard to invest in with everything going on. Uh, he might have even left by the start of the season. You know, obviously Bayern Munich have, have come to London uh, with their executives, for example. So that might happen as well. But that could be around the time that Richarlison and, and, and so on sort of start to become more focal point of that team. So it could could be useful. So yeah, as you say, there's price points behind those players that are quite um, useful. I suppose with the Arsenal uh, double up you've got in attack, it's maybe a slightly different story in that the, the price points you're probably keen on. But the thing is, there's lots of options in those price points. And so you've got Saka and Jesus. I wondered what had perhaps influenced your thinking about having specifically those two over perhaps a Martinelli or um, Havertz, Erdegaard, even Trossard, who's their top goal scorer in pre-season, was actually their top uh, for, uh, attacking return um, deliverer in the last 12 game weeks of last season, despite not actually starting all that often. So there's, there's just so, so many options. You've gone with Saka and Jesus. Um, what was the thinking behind picking those two? Yeah, I, I just, I'm just trying not to overthink it with uh, with Arsenal. Um, and Saka feels like the most nailed on option uh, among the midfielders. Um, he's potentially on penalties as well. Um, and I think he, he fell away a bit last season. And I think if that wasn't the case, he, you could possibly be looking at him at sort of 10, 10.5 million. Um, but he probably got overplayed a bit, I think, and, and he went through a period where he just looked absolutely exhausted. Um, uh, presumably, he's he's recovered now, and so I think that even at eight point five, where he's maybe slightly more expensive than, than some of the options, um, I, I still think that he's the, the standout pick. I, I do really like Martinelli. Um, he's a player that I had almost the whole of last season, and he was uh, he was fantastic, but. It's the addition of um, Havertz uh, and, and the fact that Trossard is a factor as well that, that really has me thinking. That I, I know that Havertz supposedly hasn't been brought in to, to play in any of those positions, but I'm not sure I can see him. Supposedly, as I understand it, Havertz is, is in to replace Xhaka. So he would play as a sort of a number eight alongside Odegaard with Rice or Party in behind. Um I'm not sure I can see that working. I have a feeling that at some point we're going to see Havertz push forward. And I don't think that he's going to dislodge Saka, but I think that there is probably a conversation when it comes to uh, to Martinelli or, or Trossard, um, possibly even uh, Jesus. So, yeah, um, Saka just feels, one, he feels like the best option and to me, and he seems like the safest option as well. Yeah, I mean, certainly it'd be very difficult for him to get rotated. You know, even even if he was went through a, a bad-ish couple of games, he is just so integral to that team. Um, and what well, any team he's in, you know, watching him play for England, it's the same thing. He really just stands out as one of the best players uh, on the park. Even if he's not necessarily getting goals and assists, he plays well enough pretty much every game that you have to say, yeah, he's uh, he's much more nailed on. Uh, to start um, let's finish off by just um, really tying up your defence uh, in uh, with a nice little bow because we haven't really t- talked about it too much we've uh, left it uh, to, well, to the end um, Arsenal you've got some representation there in Gabriel you've got Stones as well uh, you've got Bell on the bench we've kind of talked about Colwell my imagining here is very much you want to start with three uh, guys who you would start most weeks and only on the rarest of occasions you'd you'd rotate just based on the money you've put into uh, Gabriel and Stones and I suppose the other question of course is is that influenced by price points teams players etc you know what's the thinking behind uh, those extra guys yeah it's, it's it's all those things so in um with uh obviously I've got Anana in goal I'm, I'm not massively 
keen on that. Not not a comment on him. I would just rather that I could have Ramsdale or you know possibly Raya if he joins Arsenal because um, I would I think I would rather have United outfield defenders De lot or Shaw. Um, you know, it seemed a bit more attacking. Gabriel, yeah, he gets. I think he got three goals last season, so he definitely gets on the end of uh, things. And you know, he's good for a, a clean sheet, um, but he's not massively inspiring. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about um, this new rule where they they're going to play on until you know <laughs> they've, they've really played ninety minutes um, because matches could go on for uh, I don't know to 120 minutes um, and. Uh, I don't think that that really helps the defences uh, at all. Um, so I'm starting to look at it and think, well, if you're going to have any defenders uh, at all, you know, if you're going to if you can do anything rather than you know, just have the cheapest possible defenders, then maybe you um, you should be focused on you know ones that can get attacking returns. Um, and so yeah, I'm not sure if that's Gabriel. Uh, and you know, maybe I'll, I'll be tempted to look at an, a Stupinan or. Uh, you know, somebody with a bit more attacking threat. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's yeah, he's a reliable enough uh, option for now. Um, Stones, um, I'm really questioning, not not because I, I don't think he's a good player, but just I, I had him for about the last 10 game weeks of last season and it, it was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> and, uh, I, I just don't know if I could do that to myself uh, again. But the one time that he returned anything, because he didn't play most games for for one thing, and the fact that they know that they can, you know, Pep knows that he can use him sparingly if he if he needs to, and that's not even considering the fact that Cancelo is is still there as well, and um, you know, so he's yeah he's in the conversation. The the one time that I uh, didn't start him last season, or the one time he returned for me was uh, he scored a goal when he was uh, on my bench. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. I I, I honestly. I look at City now and I really do wonder whether, aside from Haaland, it's actually worth backing any of their players um, because there are so many alternatives um, and there are so many question marks when it comes to City. The, the fact that um, you know, they're going to play in the Super Cup uh, as well, um, you know, that, that's going to raise question marks over starters. Uh, you know, Pep will want to win that. They'll all want to win it, obviously. Um, I guess they've got the Club World Cup at some point, uh, they've got the Champions League, they, uh, they've got all the other trophies and, you know, they've got a fight on their hands to retain the, the Premier League. So, you know, rotation is, if it's ever been a problem in the past, uh, it, it's going to be an even bigger one this season. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I if if I really even want to bother with City <laughs> uh, outside of Haaland. Um, so, yeah, uh, Stone, Stones could get, get moved on to somebody else. It's it's so interesting how the psychology of of what we experienced last season can just make you look at a guy on the, on your team sheet and go because I used to get that with Reese James because uh, we talked talked about him earlier as well. I had a similar situation where I I didn't necessarily hold him through the injuries. It was more just the fact that I seemed to only ever actually own him when he got the one pointers and I'd sell him when he got the eighteen pointers. And so that already puts me in a predisposed position to go chill whatever James if you know I wanted to go for a Chelsea um fullback and so if you if, if Stones has burnt you in the past it, it probably helps you know you look at that on the team sheet and make you just feel like it's the fly in the ointment or maybe just sort of like an itch on the back of your, on the back of your head like oh need to rub that yeah. out 
Definitely, but it's, it's the way with all, all City players from an FPL perspective, is, is that you get them in and you know, maybe you had Foden when he was returning last season or you had Mares when he was returning. And, you know, for, for, they're almost like a drug, you, you know, for a brief period, they make you feel really good, but you, you don't realise that in the background, they're, they're just subtly ruining your life. And, and that seems to be you know, how I feel it is with, with City, is that they, they kind of drag you in and you feel committed to, to keeping them because you, you can see what, what they're capable of doing. But then out of the blue, um, you know, they don't play for two games or, or, you know, they come on in the 89th minute. You know, I, I, I think looking at it this season, I, th- I think in the past with players like Gundogan who, who have you know, been priced at maybe 6 million or, or, or something and, you know, really overperformed that. That's a different, a different matter, but, now with City players being sensibly priced, Foden maybe looks. Uh, yeah, they're definitely trying to tempt us with Foden at seven point five. I can I can see that. Um, but again, there are a lot of other options around that price at Liverpool, at Chelsea, at Arsenal. Um, I don't know. Do, do we do, do we need the headache? Do we need the headache of Man City, especially when you've already got Haaland? Uh, that's fourteen million of your budget in. You know, in City already, um, you know, twenty-eight. If you think you're going to captain him every every week, which you probably are. Yeah. Well, I mean, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Man City FPL assets are like drugs. So don't do those, kids. Stay in school. That's the, <laughs> that's what we've learned from a man who's won FPL. So he does know what he's talking about. Uh, it makes to- it, I, t- I totally agree with that because it is very adrenaline focused. It's sort of like oh, it feels really, really good when you've got on them and you've got them at the right time. But it's 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 those emotional swings to just the complete opposite when they don't start or they come on for one point um, when someone else has got that steady, consistent starter like a Saka or you know, a Rashford and, and Fernandes. There's no chance those guys are getting rotated. So um, very much, I suppose, in keeping with your, your theme that we talked about at the beginning, that consistency is that differential. There are lots of people going for these Man City assets at the start of the season. I've got Foden in my draft. So um, there's, there's obviously entirely possible that the, the more steady Eddie thinking actually produces more points over, say, a six to ten game week period. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better. Um, <laughs> well, I've done your talking for you. There we are. <laughs> I mean, see, so you've got me thinking now because now I'm thinking about Foden. I'm thinking about City's fixtures early on and they do look really, really good. Um, and I know that they're going to blow some teams away and it, it's, you know, the people that have the right player at the right time are, are, are going to do brilliantly. Um, but... <sighs> Just pay based on past experience that it, it just evens out. I mean, look at how good Foden was at, at points last season. Just how completely essential he seemed at, at certain points early on last season. Um, and then, yeah, look at, at his actual points score and um, his points tally. You know, by the end of it, um, you know th- these things do even out. Uh, the the only really reliable City players. Uh, are Haaland um, and and De Bruyne and outside of those and um, yeah I, I I just can't bring myself to to commit to another one. Yeah, well, for, yeah, Foden was yeah, 142 points last season, which of course you know about 40 below De Bruyne um, and. Poof. 130 behind Haaland, so yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great point. And I got a little bit nervous there when you said you started to think about Foden because stay in school, Simon. Don't do drugs. 
that's the message <laughs> <laughs> that's the message stay true to that and you and you'll do uh, just fine uh but yeah well th- thank you very much for joining us today simon it's been great to to pick your brains and uh yeah talk about what it's like to be an fpl winner what it means to bring that forward into the modern game as well and of course go through uh, your team as well um i'm anticipating as you sort of already alluded to potential lots of changes between now and game week one just like the rest of us <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can already. There are already changes to the team that, that you read out, so <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that, that's saying something. And, and yeah, it will definitely change. Um, you know, within the next week or, or so, uh, I'm, I'm certain of it. But um, yeah, uh, I can't can't wait for it to, to get started. Then. Mm, yeah, it's going to be very uh, well, just exciting. Lots of fun, lots of chaos. All the things that we've come to love about FPL, we will experience very, very soon. So, yeah, just one last final reminder for people to, of course, sign up for Fantasy Football Scout membership before the season begins, because you can save up to thirty percent on those preseason prices. And don't forget to like and subscribe as well. Hit that bell notification; all helps uh, support the channel, but also give us a good indicator of what content you'd like to see, so we can make more of it. Um, but with that, I will leave you fine folks to enjoy the rest of your tinkering, and I shall see you next time.